0: Glam more, fear less. Diabetes late night. I want be the one...
1: Late Night. I'm your host, and that was Celine Dion. Oh my gosh, you all know I've been waiting to the day we played Celine Dion, and it's happening tonight. <laughs> Thank you all for making time to spend some time with us and Diva Diabetes Late Night podcast. Um, I just have to say, you know, when you're Diva Bedic, you have to talk about divas, and one of my all time favorite divas is Celine Dion, and it's probably because I think she's so consistent as a performer. As many of you know, I have worked and with and for entertainers my whole life, and so from that standpoint, someone being consistent that you work for is really important. But in this instance, I've never worked for Celine Dion. I hope to one day, but um, I just think she gives 100% of herself and her talent every time she steps onto stage, and I love that. And Celine admits, uh, although she's not living with type 1 or type 2 diabetes or a lot of diabetes, that discipline is a big part of her success. She's been quoted numerous times for saying that there's, nothing, uh, there's been nothing but discipline, discipline, discipline in my life, which I think anyone living with diabetes can empathize with, right? Um, and it's so important to continue to stay on track with your diabetes wellness right now, even on these unprecedented times. Um, You know, February is also about Go Red and heart disease, and people with uh, diabetes have a higher chance of having heart disease. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that tonight, as well as talking about sex and intimacy with one of our favorite educators, Janice Rosler. But it is all about love, and it's going to be about family love, because we're going to find out tonight what it's like to have five brothers and sisters living with type 1 diabetes. We're going to find out about an act of self-love. How do you deal with the fact that you might have been di- misdiagnosed for four years and advocate for your health until you're able to get the right diagnosis? I just find um, the hangry woman story tonight, she's a guest, I'm so excited, so empowering. It's like everything I've ever tried to do over the last 17 years of Diva Medic has empowered people stand up for themselves, to take care of themselves, to practice self-love. And when I ran across her story on her blog and Instagram, I was just blown away. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to talk about that, and that's where the love stories are going to be tonight, about our family love, about our love of ourselves, and, of course, our love of our partners and how we could just strengthen the communication when maybe there are some problems in those more personal times within the bedroom doors, and how do we overcome that? That's what's going on tonight. My guests include Janice Rosler, uh, Mila Clark Buckley, who's known as the hangry woman, and Bella Krieger. And it's going to be a great podcast because, hey, it's Celine Dion. We're playing Falling Into You, her album courtesy of Sony Music. And guess what? We're also, for the fifth year in a row, we are part of uh, Diabetes Podcast Week, And we're supporting the Spare a Rose, Save a Child campaign. Um, It's Life for a Child. It's IDF, uh, the International Diabetes Federation, idf.org. The concept here, I know it's after Valentine's Day, but the concept is that you would take the money you would spend on a rose this year and donate it to this amazing organization and help a child living with diabetes. Um, Get the resources they need, get the supplies they need, get the education we get some of that support, like you know, like these five siblings, six siblings have for each other, uh, to just live their best lives. So check out IDF uh, Google for a rose. And even though it's after Valentine's Day, why not uh, give yourself the gift of a flower and put it towards helping a child? Something like that is what I'm thinking. Anyhow, I'm just too excited about Celine Dion to make any sense tonight. It has been a long countdown for me. I've been waiting to play Celine Dion. And um, I could go on and on about this. I've, I've never seen her perform live, but I, I, I just feel like I can't because I, I really do have too much love for her. And someone earlier today told me it was like a dirty little secret that I love Celine Beyond And I don't agree with that, people. I'm, I'm coming out of the closet on that one. So our next song, because we're going to play all the big ones off this album to get it right from the start, is from the soundtrack, Michelle Pfeiffer and Robert Redford's film, Up Close and Personal. It became Celine's second U.S. chart Chopper And sold over 2 million copies It was also nominated for an Academy award, award in 1997 But it lost to You Must Love Me Do you remember who sang that song? Uh, Madonna And it was in the film Evita This is, though, Because You Love Me Courtesy of Sony Music Take it away, Celine
0: For all those times joy you brought to my life For all the wrong that you made right For every dream
1: Back to Davies Late Night. I'm your host, Mr. Diva Medic. Someone just texted me who's listening and said you're not her biggest fan. Obviously, I'm not. The woman is this album alone, Falling Into You, which we spotlighting, is one of her, one of the 20 biggest selling albums in music history. It sold over 32 million copies. So um, I know I'm being a little bit too enthusiastic, but making I'm, I'm just sharing the thoughts of 30. 32 million other people, how's that, who all love Celine. Hey, you know, um, our divas don't always have diabetes that we play on this show. I think we know that by now. And certainly uh, from everything I could find out, Celine Dion does not have diabetes. But she does have something in common with people with diabetes. She has dry eyes diabetes often leads to dry eyes. Did you know that? And um, because of restricted blood circulation in the structure of the eye and the nerves, many people with diabetes don't even know they have dry eyes because that nerve damage is what causes you to lose the feeling in your eyes. Well, for Feline Dion, having dry eyes means sleeping with her eyes open. And I was watching some interviews on youtube and apparently it really freaked out her children to see their mother sleeping with her eyes open it would freak me out celine i just have to be honest if my mother was sleeping with her eyes open i'd be a little freaked out too all right we have two quick things to say and then we're going to get right to the hangry woman because i know she's on her car phone in in texas right now uh trying to be on the show tonight. I appreciate that so much with all the crazy weather going on. Uh, There's uh, updates for the COVID vaccine and diabetes. Our friends at Beyond Type 2 posted a great thing on Instagram all about it. So if you have any questions, you might want to check that out as well as talk to your doctor. I think the two big takeaways from that um, really informative post is that there were people living with type two and type two, uh, type one and type two diabetes who participated in the trials for the vaccine, and they didn't have any side effects. And secondly, uh, they're also telling you that if you do get vaccinated, that you want to make sure you're monitoring your blood uh, glucose levels for the next 48 hours. Which I think basically anyone with diabetes would be doing, regardless of that they got the vaccination. And if you have more questions, definitely talk to your doctor. Now, I'm not one of the Kriegers who I consider to be the Kardashians on Instagram, but we have been very uh, present on social media lately at Divabetic. We've been asked to do so many programs, and we're so happy to be doing that. Uh, On top of this podcast, we have the virtual cooking party coming up with Jill Weissenberger on March 2nd. It's on Eventbrite. It's free. She's going to be showing us how to make quinoa, and if you're a cook like I am, not like the hangry woman, that is a struggle. So I'm trying to see if I can make quinoa interesting, and Jill Weisenberger said she would help me do that. All right, we're going to get right to the hangry woman because I know she's in her car, and we're so excited to have her on. So let's just give her uh, the big, warm, (laughs) beautiful, welcome. (laughs) She's a uh, successful blogger, great and a self-taught cook who was diagnosed with type two diabetes back in 2016. But she couldn't find the close-knit community that also satisfied her the foodie side in her with diabetic-friendly recipes, low-carb recipes that she was looking for. So she created her own. Bravo, Mila Clark Buckley. Thank you for joining us tonight. How are you?
2: So much, Max. I'm so glad to be talking to you.
1: I'm in love with your glasses. Can we just talk about that for a minute? You just have the most (laughs) stunning eyewear. Thank you for doing that. Who's your eyeglass maker of choice?
2: I think the ones that I'm always wearing lately, the pink ones, are Tom Ford. Um, Actually, a funny story, I went to my optometrist for my diabetic eye exam, and she was like, I think I have a pair of glasses that only you can pull off. And I was like, okay, cool, let me see them. And I fell in love with them instantly.
1: I have a pair of Tom Ford glasses, too. They're not pink, but all right. I got mine at Costco, by the way, everybody. So there's deals out there if you look. I love that. <laughs> and we should tell everyone, uh, because I saw something on 60 Minutes, people need to make sure they're getting their eye exams even in a pandemic because some people with diabetes are losing their sight because they're not getting their um they're not going to the doctor. So let's just heed that word right now. Make sure you make an appointment to get your eyes checked. Lots of ways to be safe when having a actual appointment with your doctor. All right, so, um, you know, I read all about you, and like I said at the top of the show, I just feel like your whole story is self-love. And um, I read this on your blog, and I and. I want to read it to you and just ask you for your reaction to it. You said, in 2016, at the age of 26, you were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, but it turns out that for four years, it took four years for you to actually find out that was totally and completely wrong. So what happened, and tell us that story.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's a crazy kind of roller coaster of a story, and I think – a lot of the outcome I owe to friends in the diabetes community, because when I was first diagnosed and I was looking for resources, I couldn't find any other people who were in their twenties that were being open about living with diabetes. And I was like, I know that there are more of us or more people like me out there. And I just have questions and like, I don't know how to do this. And like, I don't know if I can go, like to the bar with my friends and still have a shot with them. Or like, how do I navigate date nights with my husband or like wearing diabetes technology and, and not having it, you know, at the time being so obvious, like now I don't care (laughs) as much anymore. And I couldn't find other people who were just talking about their daily lives with diabetes. And so I started my blog because I was like, okay, well maybe if I, just like, you know, law of attraction. If I put it out there, I'll find somebody else. Like somebody else will be looking for the same thing I was looking for. And then we can connect and we can talk and we can have that like support and that community. And the first time I had ever met somebody else with diabetes, it was somebody with LATA. And so I told her about my original diagnosis and how I had, you know, all of the regular symptoms of diabetes. I was going to the bathroom all the time. I couldn't sleep. I was losing weight rapidly. Um, when I got my blood sugar taken, it was almost 350, like just all of the, you know, the whole story. And she looked at me and she said, I don't think that you have type two. I think because of your age and some of the symptoms you experienced, they sound really similar to mine. And you should ask your doctor if you can get tested for antibodies. And I have a family history of type two diabetes, both through my mom and my grandmother. Both of them had gestational diabetes and type two And so when I told my doctor that, he was like, well, you, it's probably just type two. Like, I don't think that there's anything to confirm here. And, you know, at the time it was like, you're overweight, your blood pressure is high. You have this family history. It's type two, like everything about you screams type two diabetes. And so I kind of just left it at that. And I was like, okay, well, if that's what the doctor says, that's probably what's going on. And so I will use diet and exercise and try and really like change my lifestyle to get my blood sugars down. And so when that didn't work six months in, I started to go on insulin um, and a really low dose of insulin that didn't help my blood sugars. When that didn't work, I started taking oral medications. And so for some time I was like exercising super hard, like two hours a day, Um, I was eating probably no more than 20 grams of carbs a day, and my blood sugars were still floating in, like, the 200s, and so I was getting really frustrated with myself thinking, like, okay, I'm doing something wrong, like, maybe I'm not taking enough medication, Um, you know, and rinse and repeat. I go back to the doctor every three months. We have the same conversation. He's like, okay, up your dose of insulin and come back and see me in three months. And, and Mila, was he
1: was he believing you? I mean, you know, because I, this is a big part of the story around self-love, too, is that is getting through this frustration. I mean, this wasn't days or weeks or months. This was years of literally trying multiple things. I mean, every every time you went back to the doctor, I'm just curious if they thought you were just, you know, talking out of one side of your mouth about what you were doing since the numbers seem to be telling a different story.
2: You know, I don't think that he ever said that outright, but that was the sense that I got. I didn't think that he believed that I was doing what I said I was doing. And so at a certain point, I actually started kind of logging everything. Like I would log the times I took my insulin and how many units I took and how much I ate that day. And I would bring all of that with me because I felt like, I'm working so hard on my end to make this work and I don't feel supported and I don't feel listened to. Um, And I just feel like every time I go, it's the same routine of, okay, well you did that. I'll see you back in three months. Like try this and I'll see you next time. And so luckily, you know, I, I switched jobs. And so I had to switch insurance, which meant I had to switch doctors. And that was kind of like, the I think like a blessing in disguise for me because on my own I probably would have never switched unless I was forced to because I was like well this doctor's handled my care this whole time and even if it's frustrating like he knows my history and so having that like switch in insurance was like aha I get to go see someone else and so I kind of had the same routine with my new doctor but I felt like she was just a better listener I think that she took what I was saying at face value. And so there was finally a point where I went to the doctor for my checkup and she sat me down and she said, look, your numbers improved. Like we got me from, I think when I started seeing her, I was at like 10% and we got down to like 6.9% with my A1C. And then a few months into that, and that was after like hardcore everything, like increasing medications of all sorts, exercising even more, dieting even more. Um, And she said, I know that you're trying so, so hard, but I feel like I can't help you anymore because we got you down and now your A1C just shot back up and everything that we're doing says that it should be working, but it's not. And she was a primary care doctor. So she said, let me send you to an endo. I want to refer you and let's get a better answer. And so from there I saw the endo and instead of looking at my chart and I I thought this was like amazing because instead of looking at my chart and saying like, okay, here are the stats about you that tell me if you're doing what you say you're doing or not. He said, I want you to tell me your whole story from start to finish. I want you to tell me about your diagnosis. I want you to tell me about everything that you've been doing, what you're taking, how you're taking it. And let's like try and figure this puzzle out. And so I told him everything. And he said, the one thing I didn't hear you say was that you were tested for antibodies. Were you ever tested for GAD antibodies? And I said, no, I don't know what that is. And he was like, okay, let me explain. And so he explained LADA and he explained there's potential for you to actually not have type two diabetes. If you have this presence of antibodies and we're going to test you for it. And I was like, okay, so like what kind of test is it? You know, do I have to like fast? Is it something that's difficult? And he said, no, you're going to the lab right after you leave here and we're going to draw your blood just like your other labs and we're going to see what happened. And so that was, that was in August, you know, and that was from there. I learned that my type two diabetes diagnosis was wrong. Um, I learned that it's kind of unusual for somebody in their twenties, not, you know, completely it, it's not one of those things that doesn't happen necessarily, but it's, it's unusual for someone in their twenties um, to have type two diabetes. And he, you know, told me my endocrinologist said you should have been tested for antibodies the very first time that you got that high a one C back um, because nothing about that. He said in my eyes, nothing about that would have made sense to me. And I would have second, you know, give given it a second check. Um, and so that was yeah, like I said, I was August, to say, and-
1: wow, wow, wow. Well, <laughs> before we take a quick break, I just want to ask how did how did your treatment change then once you were diagnosed with LADA versus what you were uh, prior to that? How, I'm sure people are curious about that.
2: Yeah, just more choices, like my insulin increased so i'm taking a lot more insulin long acting at this point but because i straddle the line of both and i still have insulin production but i also have antibodies i have access to medications for type 2 like glp1 medications that help with appetite weight loss and that production of insulin in your pancreas so to me, like, I've been off of these medications that never worked, that I never had to spend money on, and now I'm on kind of like the right set and right combination for me.
1: I love it. It's such a dramatic story. I mean, I, I have, This next song is dedicated to you. The minute I booked you, I had to play this. This is, like, one of my favorite Celine Dion songs, and I, I can't believe it was written by Meat um, uh He turned it down. It was written by his – friend one of his co-writers uh <laughs> it, it's just so dramatic and it just made me think of your story because i just i fell in love with you reading all about you so i'm dedicating it's all coming back to me now to you mila here we go enjoy the song by celine Dion. it's all coming back
0: it's all coming-
1: In you, in the fire. Welcome back to Diabetes Late Night. We're talking to the Hangry Woman. She took this moment and reached out to the community, and we're going to find out what she learned from her community and what she's been talking to her community to um, about on the Hangry Woman. So, welcome back, Hangry Woman, Mila, and uh, tell us a little bit about your community because your blog has been picked up by so many different people. It's all over. You've got tons of videos, wonderful content. So here you were, uh, I would think, a little bit depressed, and uh, you admitted on your in an Instagram post you were never in denial. But how did you start to transition talking so openly on your blog? Talk to us a little bit about that journey.
2: It was really for me just the desire to find other people like me, and I knew that the more honest I was about. Everything, the positives, negatives, the like discoveries, everything that I felt about living with diabetes, I felt like if I if I just lended my voice to that and I was open and honest and shared everything I was thinking, that people would be attracted to that and they would be comfortable saying, hey, I'm in this same boat with you, knowing that they wouldn't be judged for it. And I think that maybe in the beginning I was kind of naive because I thought, like, I can talk about diabetes openly, not realizing that there's, like, this huge stigma attached to diabetes. And so it was this really great moment for me to just be like, well, I'm going to talk about it open and freely and, you know, whoever joins, joins. And so I found this amazing community of people who were just as frustrated as I was, like, walking out of the doctor's office and not really feeling like they got the support or the guidance that they needed to improve their numbers or walking out of the dietitian's office. Like I'll never forget my family's Jamaican. And so we eat like lots of delicious Caribbean food. And I walked out of an appointment with a dietitian who told me like, you can't really eat any of that when you have diabetes. And we're really going to have to rethink how you structure your food and your diet to help with your blood sugar. And I was just thinking like, I will never like give up my cultural foods. That's absolutely not like, I love food. I live in Houston, Texas, which is like one of the most food friendly places I feel like in the U S and there's so many different cuisines. And I was like, I'm not going to just like spend my life eating spinach and grilled chicken. Like I want to have the foods that I really love And so I was really open about that. Yeah, how did you do that?
1: Because a lot of people keep thinking it is very restrictive. So how how have you – tell us how you've managed to incorporate your Jamaican roots into your meal plan.
2: You know, it's just the small changes and being observant of portions is really what I found. And I do this series on my YouTube channel called Can I Eat That? Because it's the question that I've gotten the most from people, like – I would go to dinner with my in-laws and they'd be like, can you eat, like, can you have that? Isn't your blood sugar going to go crazy after this? And so I had to do a lot of explaining of like, well, this is how I fit it and this is how I make it work. And so I take like the foods that people ask about most. Like I think I did croissants in my first one. I've done pasta. Um, I have one about rice coming up, one about oatmeal, like these really carb heavy foods that people think they have to avoid completely just showing that like if you follow portion sizes and you make really small tweaks, you can make these foods work. And I think that's what I had to learn over time was it's not about shunning the foods or completely removing them from my diet. It's about learning how to eat them in the way that's going to best work with my blood sugar. And a lot of times that is changing portion sizes or maybe adding fat to a carb to slow the absorption of that carb. Um, or just kind of, like, reorienting my plate. Like, instead of eating this, like, huge portion of, you know, rice, I increase my portion of vegetables so I have more fiber. And I think it's, like, those little tricks that I've learned and that I've been able to, like, test with my CGM and finger sticks to kind of understand how different foods affect me. And over time, that learning has really helped with being able to eat the foods that I love.
1: I love it. And now I'm curious to know, Uh, What you've learned from your community, because over the past 17 years at DivaBetic, I have learned so much from my community, and truthfully to you, I learned courage, because I I still, your story about four years of frustration, I just think it takes so much courage to keep going back, to keep asking questions, to keep trying, to keep fighting until you find out how to fix what seems which seems unfixable. So I'm curious, what have you learned from your community?
2: I think that is one of the biggest things, like exactly what you just said, is that persistence. And it can be so hard sometimes to feel like you're doing all that you can do and nobody is listening to you, but you are the person that lives with you every day and you know best and your doctor is knowledgeable and is helpful But at the end of the day, you know exactly how you're feeling, and you have to keep voicing that until somebody listens to you. And I think the other thing that also stems from that feeling is just to be kind to yourself more than you ever think you should be. And I think there were a lot of times where I talked about how frustrated I was because I was like, my numbers aren't improving, and I am literally working my butt off to make it happen, and I just don't see the changes, and like I'm upset with myself. And there were so many times where my community kind of like rallied around me and they said like, no, you're trying really hard. Like keep trying, keep doing it, be kind to yourself and just give yourself grace because you are living with this every day. It's exhausting, it's depressing. You can have like lots of anxiety about the way that you're doing and the best thing that you can do is like give yourself that affirmation and cheer yourself on and say like, I can get through this day and just take that one step at a time. And I think that that has been so valuable to me to hear that from other people um, because it just helped me realize, like, okay, I'm going to make it through the day, and that's cool. And then I can go to sleep, and I can wake up, and the next day is something that I can make better. And if not, then there's a day after that and a day after that.
1: Fantastic. I I just, I want to say preach. You're so passionate. You're so upbeat. I just love everything about you. I want people to go check out The Hangry Woman. I want you and your husband to be safe in Texas. I know you're on your car pump, so we're going to let you go. But um, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We're going to keep blogging about you and letting people know about all the great things you're doing on social media. Thank you so much, Mila, for being part of our February podcast.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you having me.
1: Oh, you're I'm a I'm such a huge fan. All right, well coming up, we're gonna go we're gonna slip into something silky and go into the bedroom to talk to one of my favorite educators. She's also a sex therapist. Uh but right now we're going back to Celine Dion. Did you know, because I didn't know this when I chose the album Falling Into You for my Celine Dion moment, that it won two Grammy Awards for Best Pop Album and Album of the Year in nineteen ninety seven? Wow, she's truly inspirational I love Celine Dion, even with those dry eyes I love Celine Dion So here's I Love You, courtesy of Sonny Music. I
0: must be crazy now Maybe I dream too much But when I think of you
1: back to Diabetes Late Night. You know, candlelight, roses, and chocolate are nice, but what do you do when things start going wrong in the bedroom? I think you need a little bit more than that. You need some straight talk, and this has become a diva Beck tradition to have our board-certified sex therapist, I love saying that, licensed marriage and family therapist, an award-winning diabetes educator, plus a co-author of the Kindle book, Diabetes and Intimacy, joining us. Please welcome our friend Janice Rosler. Hi, Janice. Hey,
0: Max, how are you?
1: Great. Thank you for coming back on the show in February and talking about romance and intimacy with us with diabetes. I think it's such an important topic.
3: Oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to be here. By the way, I loved hearing Mila, the hanger woman. I even went to her website because I wanted to see what her glasses looked like. Um, she's amazing. She's amazing. I'm she so amazing. honored to be on the show with her. She sounded incredible.
1: Oh, and and wait, because you're gonna love Bella Krieger coming up. She's one of six siblings living with type one diabetes. This is really our Instagram uh, uh, celebrity moment tonight with these two women, uh, and Excellent. the two of us. So this is a big deal. She's so gonna Excellent.
3: talk a little bit Great. about family love. Great lineup. Great lineup, Max. You never you never fail. Great lineup
1: all right well you just wrote uh, you did an article for Modern intimacy uh, about a year ago in April, and you're really talking about some of the common issues that people with diabetes face, so I know um, as a sex therapist, a lot of times people think they're the only ones. I thought before we get into the three most common reasons for bad sex related to diabetes, you would just kind of. Give us a list of issues that some people with diabetes might be facing when it comes to the bedroom.
3: You know, it's so interesting. People are very different. So uh, people have relationship issues. But what's interesting is if you have relationship issues outside of the bedroom, somehow they make their way into the bedroom. I know in being a sex therapist and also marriage and family therapist, I see that it isn't usually just the bedroom. Usually if they don't understand each other, they don't appreciate each other, they don't value each other, they don't listen. It doesn't just happen in the bedroom. It happens outside. So there's a lot of great ways to work on your relationship to make it more meaningful. Communication's huge. And we need to communicate in the bedroom and elsewhere. So that's a big piece is communication for sure. Um, and respect and time and stress. And just a a whole slew of different things. Also, if one of you wants to experiment and the other doesn't, uh, people are really getting into a whole variety of different ways of approaching sexuality. More people are experimenting, for instance, with bondage, BDSM. um, And there's a whole concern about with uh, diabetes, not in doing all those different things, but in safety. Safety is the number one thing. So if someone wants to experiment with um, different types of kind of, uh, you know, Fifty Shades of Grey type of uh, uh, tying up and and all those types of things, we get concerned about cuts and bruising and infections because that's a big piece for someone who has diabetes. You don't want to get an infection. So being really careful with that, careful with safe words so your partner knows that, when to stop or whoever you're with knows when to stop and when is it a diabetes-related thing or when is it a preference. Some people are starting to experiment with anal sex. My concern with anal sex in terms of safety, certainly everything should be safe with condoms, but in terms of safety, if you don't prepare your body properly, you are more likely to have a uh, tearing. You're more likely to have an anal tear or an injury. So I'm, again, an area with a lot of bacteria. I'm very concerned about that. Learn how to do it properly. And uh, one great series of YouTube videos is called um, Sexplanations, where there's Dr. Lindsay Doe, D-O-E, and she's hilarious. She's adorable. She dresses up like a condom. I mean, she's silly, but you get great, great information. Um, so experimenting is a piece. You may have... Uh, a partner who doesn't want to experiment as you, as you do, and you may be more on the, you know, interesting side and not so interested in same old, same old. Um, so that, again, is communication. All, it tends to always go back to communication, communication and respect. I you know, but
1: why is there, uh, before we go into these three common reasons, why is there still such a stigma? I mean, I'm sure... People are blushing as you're talking to us about it. And it really, it's just so funny, like Mila was just saying about the stigma of type 2 diabetes. Now, here, she's 26. 17 years ago, when I started to diabetic, there was a stigma of diabetes. It hasn't really gone away. And I, I feel like when you talk about bondage, anal sex, and these things, they're still a little bit like, oh, my gosh. You know, I could, I could just tell people are reaching for the hanky. Um, <laughs>
3: Oh, or, oh
1: know, my they're, they're gosh. nervous listening to this conversation.
3: Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. Well, you know what? listen, wait, wait, first, let me tell you who i am i'm a I'm a sixty two year old grandmother of five grandchildren okay <laughs> it It's been a learning curve for me too. I remember the first time I needed to i I wanted to learn a little bit more about um anal sex and the practice and the safety, and the videos I found were male female partners. Because we you know a lot of people automatically assume that it's the same sex you know type of practice, and there are a lot of um, a lot of heterosexual couples who are doing that. so the world is changing, the world is changing. that doesn't mean you have to do these things if you don't want to do it again, one very important rule in the bedroom is you don't ever do anything you feel you do not want to do and that's where the communication comes in so hey sex the best sex is about being with uh is about communicating and having a great time using the bed as, as an adult playground and not going against your own values not going against your own uh morals and just really you know being able to let loose and relax
1: So, yeah, I mean, I really, you know. That is one of the top three uh, common reasons for bad sex. One of them is you and your partner aren't in the mood. It might not, I think this opens itself up to not just in the mood to have um, sex or intimacy, but even in the mood to be what you were just saying, experimental. So do you find that, uh, you're going to give the answers after we play another Celine Dion song, but regarding this, is this really common that people are really sitting on opposite ends of the bed when it comes to the desire factor, me not having desire, you having a lot of desire, or vice versa?
3: There's always a low desire partner, and that's because you're never going to be at the exact same level of desire. One may be uh, in a better mood, one may be in a slightly less mood, but you're never going to be identical. So it's, there's compromise. And uh, the one thing I I do want to always incorporate diabetes into this, a lot of times mood has to do with blood sugar swings. You may really be in the mood, you may really be interested, but because your blood sugar is running out of your healthy range, too high, too low, you don't feel like being involved. You're not in the mood. You can't relax. You feel either jittery or you feel sleepy. So that brings diabetes in there. So you may have a very willing partner who is excited. You may have been excited a few hours ago and been looking forward to it. And then, remember, diabetes enters the bedroom. It doesn't stay on the other side of the locked door. <coughs> you know, there's there's three of you. So, you know, you, your partner, and your diabetes. So having right. that, right. that's a big part also is coming to the bedroom in as healthy uh, a condition as possible.
1: Okay, so now the number two common reason for bad sex as it relates to diabetes is you or your partner are not comfortable with your body or your partner isn't comfortable with their body. So, you know, this isn't about me not being comfortable. It's this idea of not feeling comfortable because you have diabetes, right? A lot of people... Uh, think that they have nothing to offer a lot of people right now you know in the pandemic aren't able to date with people. there's always a question of when do you also when you have diabetes, but that kind of plays into this as well doesn't it about the comfort about, about being comfortable in my own skin
3: Oh, it really does and and diabetes can can be a challenge, especially if you tend to if you've been gaining weight because of insulin or gaining weight because of uh, because you've been struggling uh, either because of medication side effects or if you have type two and there's uh, more of a struggle for some people to uh, to get some of their weight down or just that's it that's your new level. Um, if you're taking any type of injections, you may have bruising. You may have marks and black and blue marks on your fingers and your hands and your arms and your abdomen and you may not want someone to see you, so that's a discomfort level. Um, you, we live in a world where we compare ourselves to people who appear to be perfect, and that's not real. And, of course, if anyone is, uh, is viewing uh, any type of erotic material, pornography in order to either get in the mood or just, uh, watch it for sexual entertainment, it looks like these people are perfect. They don't have hairs out of place. Their bodies are exactly what they should be. They're always enjoying sex. These you know, these are scripted adult shows. The problem is we, we compare ourselves to these people, and it's not fair. They stop and start and have people adjust their makeup, and then they, they tweak, the, they edit it but yet we're comparing ourselves to them. So that's a whole problem, too, is that we live in a society uh, where we don't readily accept our bodies as they are, what they look like. And if you're aging, if you're sagging, if things are kind of slipping out of place, we've got to adjust to a whole new reality of who we are and what we look like. And diabetes has a way of, of, um, of challenging our physicality even more, and we're always focused on it. We're looking at ourselves. We're checking ourselves. So that's it, a big piece too. Is it
1: also a problem that, um, like you were just saying earlier, with the images we see around mm-hmm. porn or soft core porn, that they're so perfect that that becomes the thing that um, excites us, and so it's hard to. I mean, do people can that work against you too if you're always if, if the person you want has to be perfect, do you know what I mean, in order for you to feel like you're, uh, for you to feel desire. I'm trying to think If I, you. You're attracted oh. to perfect
3: No, no, it's a, it, it's a real issue for some people where, especially if someone's watched a lot of porn and they struggle to have a real sexual relationship with a living human being because they're always comparing them to what they've seen on the screen. And no one is going to match up to that. It just doesn't happen, and so it's um there are people who struggle in the bedroom and can't get turned on as much because they have these visions of perfection, and their partner gets it that they're always being compared, always being rated and it's um it it's a problem of our time that that uh, sexual material is so accessible and, and we can always compare to it. So we really have to understand what it is we're looking at and use it for what it's good for. There are some reasons, uh, you know, I can get into the good things about it, but know that, uh, you know, comparing yourself to it and what that uh, woman looks like who's had multiple different types of uh, surgical procedures done, that's not reality. So, um, you know, just putting it into perspective and and finding out what is real. Yeah.
1: And the last one is um, the three most common problems people face in the bedroom with diabetes is you or your partner are coming much earlier than you want or not at all. So there is something to the physicality of diabetes and performance uh, with sexual activity.
3: There's definitely, the the body can change based on how, uh, based on management of blood sugar levels. Um, uh, Men can have difficulty with erections, especially if their blood sugar tends to be higher than their healthy range because then it can get into uh, nerve damage and also in order to have a good erection you need, You need your nerves to be healthy so your brain can tell your penis that you want an erection. And you also need to have good blood flow. And when your blood sugar level is too high, remember there's a lot of things involved with with, uh, heart rate, with blood pressure, with all these things, with blood flow. And that is all affected. So you may not be able to get the blood to where you need it to go at the time you want it to go. And so that would be getting an erection, maintaining erection, keeping it long enough, letting it be firm enough. So that's one thing. And women too. We don't see as strong a connection to blood sugar management with women. Sometimes women can have the most wonderful textbook levels of their, you know, blood sugar A1C, gorgeous, fantastic. Yet, yeah, still have vaginal dryness, have pain during intercourse, have difficulties with orgasm, um, have some sensitivity issues, and we're not a hundred percent sure why it's happening. We we do believe there may be something involved with um, hormone swings, but again, unfortunately, we haven't learned a lot about, you know, women haven't been the subject of research as aggressively as men have. And also men are much easier to have in studies because you can tell when they're aroused, obviously. It's a little more blatant and obvious if a man's sexually aroused than if a woman's sexually aroused. And not that many women want to participate in studies where you may have wires being attached to body parts that you don't want scientists to see. So it's it's hard to get the information. But the all right, so we heard the problems. problems.
1: We're going to take a quick Celine Dion break, and we're going to come back, and on the other side, we're going to talk about the ways to fix all of those issues. You know, We I don't know what happened with my producer. We're supposed to have All By Myself playing right now, but we don't, everybody. I was so looking forward to that. So we're going to play another song by Celine Dion. Courtesy Should we sing? Of music. Do you
0: want to sing it? <laughs>
1: Well, now we're going to find out what it takes with our good friend Jazz Rosler, who was willing to do a karaoke version of All by Myself with me in <laughs> a second ago. You're the author of the Kindle book Intimacy and Diabetes. It's available on Amazon. We're gonna, um, We're gonna read the three most common problems one at a time, and you're gonna tell us how we could possibly fix it. Let's go back to: you're not comfortable with your body, or your body is, or your partner isn't comfortable with their body. How would you resolve that?
3: Okay, great ideas. Number one, I have a great book for the women out there. It's called Come As You Are. It's a book by Emily Nagoski, and you spell her last name N as in noodle, A-G-O-S-K-I. Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. It is a great, great book. It was a New York Times bestseller, and it's all about – Seeing you as you really are, accepting yourself, loving yourself, and loving all the parts of your body and all the areas of your body. I think it's beautifully written and it's got a great message, and um, and it's very very science based. So I think that'll be. Uh, it's a fascinating read, but that can help a lot in terms of um, learning new things. I do want to say that there is actually a new um, porn. I guess, well, adult entertainment, I guess. Adult entertainment television channel, online TV channel, that was just launched by um, a, um, uh, a board search psychologist. Yeah, Martha Stewart. Yeah, she's not, she's not busy, right? Um, maybe she'll guess. Anyway, it is called GASM TV, G-A-S-M, as a Mark, M, dot TV. Now, there is another channel just called GASM.com. You don't want to go there because that's straight-out porn, but GASM TV is the one that I'm talking about, and it's hosted by educators and sexologists, and I do know the person who's creating it. It just got launched literally a, a week or two ago, and it is going to have intimacy. It's going to have um There will be live programming on it, but it 's hosted by educators, hosted by sexologists it 's done from with a lot of respect and education. You can learn things, you can even communicate with the people on t v so that 's a real interesting thing on the internet that 's just being yeah. launched yeah and and then just really uh, understand, yeah, go ahead
1: sorry, no no, so then and finally, just like what would make me more comfortable with my body tonight?
3: What would make you more comfortable? I'll tell you, do something kind for yourself. Take a bubble bath. Take yourself on a date. Take yourself on a date. I think it's a beautiful thought. If you're going to take a bath, light a candle. Um, use some uh, lotions afterward. If you want to, self-pleasure yourself, do it, but come smelling good. Put on makeup. Um, really value yourself. You can't, and if you're not comfortable looking in the mirror, that's fine. But realize that there's so many areas about your body that are special. You've got your feet, you have your ankles, you have your hands, you have your hair, you have your ears. Really try to find a few things that you just find are incredibly special, color of your eyes. All of this is all of you. And cherish yourself and find something that's really special. See if, you can, see if you can identify three things that you think are just amazing about yourself and write them down, and hopefully you'll build on that. And really go on a date with yourself. You're, you're, you're the best friend you've got, so go on a date with yourself.
1: All right, and now let's go to number two, which is about the performance anxiety. You or your partner are actually coming too early or not at all. How do you fix that? Okay, so for
3: men who have an erection but then they end up ejaculating too quickly for their own uh, desire, we call it early ejaculation instead of premature. We, we're kind of moving that name around because you're not, you're earlier than you want. Um, there is a spray, there are numbing sprays that you can put on part of the penis so it's a little bit less sensitive, and that way you don't reach that stage of need, of needing to ejaculate so quickly. Um, <clears throat> I'll tell you one brand that I'm familiar with, and I have no relationship with them. It's called Promescent Spray, P-R-O-M, as in Mark, E-S-C-E-N-T, and I know it's online. It's just a, a, a wonderful product, easy and expensive, and you can just spray it on. And it will take the sensitivity down just a bit so you don't get turned on as quickly and come to, you know, ejaculate too early. Um, a man can also do a stop-stop yeah, technique. All... Um, yeah, yeah. And the um, the a uh, man can do a start-stop technique, which is as you're just starting – to feel that you're really getting more turned on, you, you either withdraw or you stop touching yourself. And that way it will go back down to baseline, and then you take yourself back up to almost getting really turned on, and then you go back. And basically you're teaching your body to wait. You're teaching your body to wait, and you can look online, just look up start-stop technique for, I think, they, for ED. And you'll see different, there's different websites that will give you the steps on how to do that. Um, Learning about self-pleasuring for women also, learning what you need, what you don't need, how you like to be touched, and then you can have a little more uh, ability to change the pace of when you do have an orgasm because you can direct your partner's hand elsewhere or you can move your own hand elsewhere, so you don't reach a level of orgasms as too quickly so you can move around a bit Um, the lubricants you use you can use different types you can add it later when you want to um, you know come a little more quickly and also just accepting that it's okay there's uh, not to have an orgasm during sex especially for women Uh, Dr. Rosemary Bassan in the year 2000 came out with a whole new notion of how of women and their sexuality and this, and really put forth the fact that there are many women who have a great time in bed without having an orgasm. They just like the closeness. They like cuddling. Maybe they were too stressed and they're doing it because they just want to relax or they just want to give a gift to their partner. So this way, um, just accepting that there's so many ways to have a good time, so many ways to enjoy the moment that you take the pressure off and take out another thing you can both do is take out the word should from your vocabulary. Should puts pressure. It's not that you you Oh, I should have done this. No, I wanted to do that. There's a big difference because should implies that there's a whole disappointment and failure if you didn't, where I wanted to, okay, I didn't, maybe next time. So should implies performance and that you're being rated, and we've got to cut that word out of the language altogether. And, of course, keeping your blood sugar level in a healthy range can make all of these things minimized.
1: All right, and our final one wrapping up is, you and your partner aren't in the mood, or you or your partner aren't in the mood. How would you fix that? Well, first of all, spontaneity is very overrated.
3: So if you, if you think you're going to quickly run home, pull off each other's clothes, and run into bed, and why aren't we both in the mood, look at all the things that you live with, especially with diabetes. There's something called diabetes distress, and that's the exhaustion and the stress that comes with having to deal with diabetes every day. So you may not be in the mood. Be kind to yourself. Schedule intimacy. Find a time when you know the kids are asleep. Give yourself time to get in the mood, whatever it is you like. If it's a bubble bath, if it's um, watching a movie together, if it's watching uh, some type of uh, erotic show, you know, Bridgerton was uh, amazing. I know last time I always, I always touted uh, Outlander, but Bridgerton, did I you was see it, I've been waiting Matt? for
1: you to say this. I couldn't believe you. I was like, she's not going to let a conversation <laughs> go by without Matt mentioning Bridgerton. I, that's so funny. I've been waiting for you to say it.
3: Oh, no, no. I have to say Bridgerton. Okay, Bridgerton, everybody. Oh, my gosh. Bridgerton, everybody. Great, great. Very sensual. Very sexy, but also great fun. Also, learn to talk about what your needs are. Uh, Like I said, be good to yourself. Don't worry. Schedule. But one thing I do want to mention: if you have type two diabetes, there is research that shows that following the Mediterranean diet type of meal plan, which um, is canned, reduce some of these um, sexual complications in both men and women. So take a look at the Mediterranean diet, and when you make your food choices. See if you can keep them in under the, uh, you know, heading of the Mediterranean diet in that format.
1: I love it. Well, great advice, author of uh, Diabetes and Intimacy, Janice Rosler. Thank you so much for joining us again to talk about that just tonight. It's such an important topic. always great to spend time with you.
3: Thanks for inviting me, and thanks, everybody.
1: All right, straight ahead. We're going to find out what it's like to have not one, not two, not three, not four, not but Five Siblings Living with Type 1 Diabetes With Bella Krieger Right now we're going to listen to one more song By Celine Dion Courtesy of Sony Music
0: So I got in the car But I didn't get far Cause the radio played Every song that I sang with you Yesterday's gone And it may be true But you know that I never get over
1: Diabetes is tough, but we are tougher. That's the Krieger family motto. Please welcome my mm-hmm. guest, Bella Krieger. Hi, Bella. Thanks for joining us.
4: Hi. But, yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited.
1: This oh, is our first, like, sure.
4: first podcast.
1: <laughs> awesome. Well, wow, your family is such Instagram stars. I'm honored that we could be the first one, our good friend at Glucose SOS, Pam. Uh, introduced us. And so I'm just so thrilled to have you on. It's such a unique story. So you have six family members living with type 1 diabetes, and you also have a dog. Tell us about the family members, when they were diagnosed, and and who was diagnosed for and and so forth for our our listeners.
4: All right. Okay. So well, it starts with, so there's actually, there's eight of of us kids total. So, Chris is our first, the first Krieger, and he's 30 right now, and he does not have type 1 diabetes. Um, but the first to get diagnosed was Ben, who's now 27, um, and he got diagnosed at six years old. And then after Ben, we have Maddie, who's 24, and she got diagnosed at three years old, but had a honeymoon phase until she was 11 and didn't need insulin until then. Um, and then we have Nick, who's 23. And he also got diagnosed at three, but had a honeymoon phase until he was 17. Um, It was actually his senior year of high school until he started needing insulin again. Um, and And then the next is me, and I'm kind of the weird one out. I got diagnosed at 15, and I'm now 19 years old. And then we have Anna, who was diagnosed at six, who's now 16. Harrison, who's 15 years old and does not have type 1 diabetes. And then, last but certainly not least, <laughs> we have Sophia, who's eleven years old, and she got diagnosed when she was seven.
1: Wow, all right, so amazing, so I, mean, <laughs> I don't even know where to start, except that I guess I just want to start with your parents like how how do they how do they take this on i mean this, there's no diabetes in the family prior to this. is that true on either no your yeah.
4: um well. My dad's, my dad's dad, so my grandpa. He passed away when we were really young, but he ended up, he did have type one. So he had, he's the only one though. And all extended family for both my parents' side, we had my one grandpa, who had type one. But that's it. Um, I and I was thinking it's funny because I was talking to my mom earlier today, talking to her, her about this, and she was like, "What are you going to say?" And the first thing that came to my mind was since I was a kid, one thing, one phrase I always heard my parents say is, Kriegers aren't quitters. And like, I just like, that's just always been in the back of my head, you know, kindergarten, first day of school. I look at my mom and dad so nervous. And what do they say? They say the Kriegers aren't quitters. And like, that's kind of just been what we've been taught since we've younger, you know, like I've noticed even just seeing how we live differently. And it's just, everything just constantly gets thrown at us and it's like we don't even flinch. You know, that's just kind of how we're built. We're built. If, if things aren't getting thrown at us, we're like, what do we do with ourselves? So it's like we just kind of have this, we're just tough. And they've always told us from the start, you can do this. You're going to be able to do this. And I think now with all this, we have each other's support. You know, we're getting so much closer, like with all of our siblings' relationships, texting each other, hey, what's your busker? Hey, how are you feeling today? You know, and that's conversations we never used to have. And now we're having those conversations and building our relationship and talking about our diabetes, and it's just
1: great. Yeah, I think the support has to be amazing. I mean, you know, you heard our conversation with Mila earlier about the shame. So many people with type 1, type 2, and LADA, you know, they blame themselves for their numbers. But I'm just curious how your family looks at numbers, because I feel like you look at numbers – uh, for knowledge about how to treat your blood sugar, you're not really judging the number. Is that true? And can you just tell us? Yeah, how, that's how you um,
4: do it. 100%. So, what I would say is so, three of three of there's all four of the girls have diabetes, and um, I think that we are very sensitive, <laughs> we're very high in emotions all the time. So, I think one thing my parents realized early on is when they get that high alert alarm on their Dexcom, they're not going to be like, hey, your blood sugar is 237. You need to do this right away. It's more, hey, your blood sugar is going high. What can we do to fix this? You know, it's an, instead of correcting it and going down to the numbers because that's what gives us anxiety. That's what stresses us out is, is setting a number to it where it's easier for us to just, you know, notice when, when is our blood sugar high? What are we going to, what are we going to consider high? We're going to say anything above a hundred is high and that's high. We're not going to say, Oh, that's really high. That's too, you know, it's just being able to recognize and knowing like, I think that was like a big struggle for us for a very long time was just the sensitivity and not Not being able to hear, hey, you need to correct your blood sugar and not immediately being like, oh, I need to be defensive about that. You know, well, I just did this and this and this, and that's why my blood sugar is high. Now it's like we can have that conversation and be like, all right, like, let's fix it. Like, let's get it better. Like, it's no big deal. And I think that's very important, especially with girls, you know, young girls who are growing up and getting diagnosed with diabetes. And eating is another thing that we get so many questions about. And, like, even when people come to my house, they're like, oh, you have, you have sugar here? Like, wow, you, you have candy? And it's so absurd that, like, the to that idea to them, they're like, wow, you can even have sugar here. But I think that's something my parents have really never introduced to us at all. they never talked about diets. We've never talked about cutting sugar out. We've never, instead, we, we dose for everything we take. You know, if you're going to sit there and eat that whole bag of Sour Patch Kids, right. you're going to suffer the consequences, but dose for it. You know.
1: And now, um, because you brought it up, I am curious about the male versus the female, since it's three sisters living with type 1 and two brothers living with type 1. what How, how different do you think the boys have reacted to diabetes versus the three of you women?
4: Uh, I would have to say Ben, who is the 27-year-old. He was the first to be diagnosed. I'd say he had a rough go of it. Um, I know that that's, a, like, I mean, just a quick, I feel like a lot of us have so much more than diabetes to us. Like, I'm trying to talk about each of us, and I don't want to miss anything. But um, Ben is also a recovering heroin addict, which is something that we think is really important to our story. And um, I think him getting diagnosed with diabetes first and being so lonely and so he had no idea what to do. He was the, he was the weird kid right away. And that kind of started his route of anxiety and depression and not feeling accepted and just everything that goes, you know, everything that you feel when you just are different. Um, So I'd say Ben really did struggle and is now facing the consequences of him denying and not dealing with his diabetes at a younger age. But then when I go and look at Nick, um, he didn't really have to deal with it until his senior year of high school where he had kind of already gotten a feel for his body, a feel for who he is. So I think that that kind of didn't really affect him, which is kind of for me. I didn't get my diagnosis until 15. So at 15 years old, when I still didn't need to, I didn't need to wear the Dexcom, wear the pump until I was like 17. So it was kind of like not as hard. So I feel like the biggest thing versus, I mean, female, male, yes, 100%. um, But I think the biggest thing was, the age of diagnosis that really affected everyone.
1: Yeah, and and just going back to touching back on what you just said about Ben. So also that idea that like he like he said he felt isolated and alone. And obviously, if there's six of you, it's a little bit different now, right? I mean, that is right. that is a big a right. story of like you were one of the later ones diagnosed. So how how was that for you? Because so many women we've talked to who are diagnosed at 17 like you were, at 15 like you were, or even the 6 year old and the 11 year old um, you know, they felt they were hospitalized. They really thought uh, their life could be over. And so I'm curious because you right. came, several of your siblings were diagnosed. Did you ever have that reaction or were you just kind of like what you just said earlier, the like, Kriegers aren't quitters. You are just kind of like, I'm going to roll with the punches.
4: Well, it was, it was cool because when I was listening to Hangry Woman's story, I honestly could relate to her so much. So um, my sophomore year started, which was the year of my diagnosis, and I just felt horrible. We couldn't figure it out. I, I was so depressed. I wouldn't get out of bed. I dropped out of sports. Um, it started with that, and then I got uveitis. Um, they diagnosed me with uveitis, this really strange, very, very rare autoimmune eye disease. Um, I got uveitis. Then we fixed that. I ended up in the ER again the next month with random bruises everywhere. Um, They didn't know what that was. And then I was getting headaches again, and then I was throwing up. And it was just this whole, I want to say, three years of just trying to figure out what everything was. And then, I mean, sophomore year, we ended up getting a diagnosis right away. Of type 1 diabetes but then we saw my endocrinologist and she thought no you don't have type 1 it's it's moody or moody um, I forget how All you right. pronounce it but then I we got me and both Nick got tested for that and we don't have the antibodies and what's even weirder is I got tested for the antibodies before I got my diagnosis like the antibodies of type 1 diabetes and they called me the day I was in the waiting room and got my diagnosis and they said Hey, this is such great news! We got your antibody test. You have a thirteen percent chance of getting type one diabetes. And I, I was like, "Funny, um, I'm here at the doctor's office with with my diagnosis." <laughs> so, wow. yeah, that's we all, and that's just showing, you know, like just going from Ben to my story very fast. Everyone's story is just so it's all like that, you know. We all have so much buildup. <laughs>
1: But, but I you know, hearing talk, uh, and hearing you talk, it's it's. Um, I'm so glad you're sharing this because we're gonna. I want to move on to the Instagram because your family, I think, are like the Kardashians of diabetes. You know, with your, <laughs> they're amazing. I would never. I mean, it. There's your posts are so full of joy, so full of music, and just so out loud living with diabetes. I would have never in a million years suspected that you were the girl who was going to tell me this story, if I looked at that, and it's yeah. kind of amazing. So I'm curious how you made it, how you kind of went over the rainbow to where you're, uh, you and your fa- your sisters and your um, brothers are really posting so much about your lives. You're really kind of sharing everything about what it's like to live on di- with diabetes out loud on Instagram, and it looks like you're having a great time with it.
4: Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, that's how did I get there? And I think the biggest thing I'd say is I woke up one day and I was like, I am so sick of hating diabetes, you know, like how, how much energy I put into dreading the finger pricks, crying about the Dexcom cry, Like it was just all this frustration, you know, frustration at the doctors for not telling me what's wrong with me, not being able to be given just a medication that makes me feel great again. Um, it was just all that frustration and just, I was sick of it. I I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I mean, if I'm just going to sit here being mad, I'm not doing anything, you know, I'm just going to be mad then and nothing's going to change. And I think we all kind of individually and in our own ways hit that point where we were like, we need to make this a good thing again, because yeah, we have this chronic illness, but we also have this beautiful family of eight kids and so many siblings and Amazing parents who have supported us through all this like let's let's share our story like let's get out there and talk about all of the experience we have with life because I mean we're touching on the surface right now, honestly with the chronic illnesses because we could talk about like I said drug addiction, um, anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders, you know we 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 have so much we can share with the world, and it was just one day in quarantine we all were sitting down in the family and we were like. It is time to share our story. Like, it is just time. Six diabetics in one family. Like, come come on. Like, right? How have we not seen this on a TLC show?
1: And we, oh, we just decided I, we were like, you know, like my brother my brother uh, has type one diabetes. He's very private about it. He he has been on this podcast once in the ten years I've been doing it. And he I so I understand I could understand why you went to it. I just think it's so brilliant that you are doing it and you're showing people what you do which i think is fascinating so from that standpoint tell us a little bit about the content about what you're showing because it's so fascinating to me because it's such you know we we kind of skewer at diva back to a little bit of an older audience who aren't as tech savvy and you and your sister specifically have no problem talking about insulin protectors Dexacom insertion videos. I mean, it's incredible. So I just, I'm curious, like, tell us more, because this is fascinating how you developed it all.
4: Yeah, well, you're definitely right. The biggest hit um, is definitely the insertion videos, like putting the Dexacom on or actually setting our pumps up. You know, that's what people really like to see. They like to, like, because this is so foreign, we forget that you know we do this every single day you know it doesn't look a Dexcom doesn't look weird but when you're scrolling and you have no idea what di- type 1 diabetes is and you see this weird device that someone's sticking on then you're like what the heck so i think that's one of our biggest things especially um with posting on tiktok we get so many questions like what is that what are you doing what what is that for why do you need that you know so there's a lot of lot of videos that we do like that um that's definitely where we got our first inspirations was just putting the Dexcoms in. Um, and I think now as we get more into it, we've noticed like people kind of want to hear from us now. People want us to vlog our daily life and like show them what we're eating and show them what we exercise and what our days look like. So that's kind of cool starting to build that relationship with our followers. And then like another big thing, like the vital safe and expression, so our big brands, I guess I'll give them a quick shout out. We have, of course, Glucose SOS. Um, and then we're big vouch for VileSafe. They're insulin vial protectors. They're amazing. They come in every color you can imagine. Um, and then Expression Med Tape, we use a bunch of tapes. So we'll do videos putting our tapes on over our Dexcoms or our pumps that need to stay on better. And then we actually just became Spy Belt Ambassadors. So that's what my other sisters use for their Tandem. Um, they put, they keep their tandem right in that belt. So like we'll show, I know they just made a really awesome belt, b- spy belt video, like showing how the spy belt fits around your waist and how you can put your pump in it. And it's just super fun. And I, and it's awesome. And because it's so just, many companies and it's love it, kind and of wearing it. It. It, it.
1: It's not kind of like hiding it, right? With spy belt, it's kind of like just showing it right. And it's actually kind of mm-hmm. fun, colorful belt and just, acting like it's just another accessory like your earrings or a bracelet. I'm gonna wear my pump yeah. and make it look and, and make it work with my outfit. And, exactly. and you and it's also perfect
4: for Sophia.
1: Right. She she really is all over it. I was w- looking at that. That's your youngest sister, correct? Oh
4: yeah, yep. She does not take that thing off. She won't leave without her spy belt.
1: <laughs> and how do you um because you're all kind of going into your teens or you're in your 20s, have you talked a little bit about dating with diabetes? I'm just curious, uh, without asking to get too personal, like do you, have you all kind of agreed that you're very upfront about saying you have diabetes when you're interested in someone? or do you, I mean, how do you address that? Because so many people have questions about that uh, in our community, about just dating with diabetes.
4: Right. And I think, um, my answer would probably be different than my sister's, but I'm a very vocal and like just extroverted person. And if you have met me, you probably know that I have diabetes because <laughs> it's just something I will bring up. And I think especially, I mean, I've had a long-term boyfriend we've been dating for the past two years. Um, and I want to say the first conversation we had, my I knew I knew my Dexcom was showing, so I knew I had to. That's another thing. If I, if I know it's showing, I feel like I have to say something about it because I think that they're thinking about it. And I'm like, okay, I just am going to be like, hey, this is, my di- this is my device for diabetes, just so you know, I have diabetes. So I don't know. I feel like I'm just so used and so comfortable in the diabetes community that I have never felt that. Embarrass me because I've never I've never had to I never got the opportunity to because my siblings always had it and everyone knew me at high school as the girl whose siblings all have diabetes so it was like I never really have had that opportunity to introduce myself and have that awkward like oh yeah did you know I have diabetes but it's interesting because my little sister who's a sophomore in high school she she frets about that a lot she worries She's like, what am I going to oh, say? How am big, I going to?
1: It's a big deal. I think like we were talking earlier with Janice Osler, sure. it's a big deal about feeling comfortable about it. And like you said, like so many other issues that go with it, the anxiety and the stress just of thinking how people will react, not even how they react, that could really be unsettling for someone.
4: Yeah,
1: exactly. And talk to me a little bit about the eating issues because we've had Asher Brown, who's an incredible Ambassador on as well. She has a um, a group called We Are Diabetes. We should give her a shout out right now. And she deals with diabulimia. She's a um, which is an eating disorder around insulin. And I'm curious, is that the what you were talking about about the eating disorder earlier?
4: Um, not it, my. So Anna actually got diagnosed with anorexia. I want to okay. say probably two years ago now. Around then, um, she's doing amazing. I mean, she's working very hard. It's a lot of work, I know. Um, but when I was listening to the hangry, when she was hangry, was on. Um, it was interesting because she had said something about her dietitian and how her dietitian had told her um, not to eat right. the Jamaican food, right? And that's and Anna actually just emailed the dietitian that kind of all this and she shared some words with her just about um, because I guess Anna had met with this dietitian very young upon her diagnosis I think I want to say around age 11 or 12 and the dietitian told her you're eating way too much Um, and just scared the crap out of her and she didn't eat again for two years so, I think that that's another thing that we wanna start including and talking about because that's something that's so important, especially with young girls and the diabetic community, especially right now too, with social media and just everything
1: absolutely and i i you guys are such ambassadors. I have two more questions before I let you go, and by the way, I just think you're brilliant um <laughs> I write on beyond type one, I wanted to know if you agreed with this statement or not, and if so. Uh, tell us why, and if not, tell us why. Type 1 diabetes doesn't define us, but rather unites us. That was from another woman who has a sibling with diabetes. Obviously, you have more than one sibling with a diabetes. So what would you say to that? Type 1 doesn't define us, but rather unites us.
4: Wow, yeah, 100%. And I think that's a message we are trying to spread right now. Um, I think we've experienced it firsthand, too, It's just, with this diabetes account, just doing it and getting more involved with each other. Like me and my siblings are my, me and my family are closer than we've ever been. Um, it's just has united us so much. And, and I think we've learned in that, that we can use the definition of diabetes instead of letting it define us. We can define it. We can take control of it. We can, we can control how it's going to define us. We're not going to let it just be, our chronic illness. Instead, now it's going to be this amazing Instagram page with all these amazing supporters and all these great messages we're sending out. I love it. All right,
1: so here we go. The last two questions. I I want to know what has been the most challenging aspect of having siblings with diabetes?
4: Uh, I would have to say...
0: Mm,
4: t- tough, Tough call, but I would say either watching my younger siblings get diagnosed that was really hard like especially Sophia and Anna when they were very young like watching my parents have to my dad hold her and my mom inject the insulin and like that was traumatic but i'd say another thing would be it's it's hard to see my parents you know after every diagnosis and they just can't do anything but help us but offer support and I think seeing just my mom upset after we're upset, and she's just like, I'm your mom. I'm supposed to be able to help, but there's nothing I can do. And I think that that's hard. That's hard to see.
1: Yeah, I, I think your parents are amazing. So now we're going to end on a tip note. What's one of the most valuable parts of having siblings living with diabetes?
4: Oh, gosh, it's the best thing ever. <laughs> right? It's just amazing, I couldn't imagine it any different because, like I said, diabetes is so normal in my household. you know if you don't have diabetes you're the odd one out, so it's like we have this own little community of diabetes is normal, and it's just so great because we've never felt weird at home, you don't feel like the odd one out you know your your dexcom goes off, and two minutes later, so does your little sisters and it's nice. You always have that helping hand and that support and that love from someone you know won't judge you and it's just going to have your back. And it's just awesome.
1: Amazing. We should tell everyone, too, to go to Instagram. And it's Kriegers plus uh, type T1D, type 1 diabetes. That's the, the handle on Instagram. But you man, m- mentioned TikTok. So tell everyone quickly how they could find you guys on TikTok.
4: Yeah, same handle on TikTok, so Kriegers plus
1: T1D. T1D, yes. Amazing. We're going to have you back on the show again because I just enjoyed having you on the show so much, Bella. I, it was it was inspiring, and it's a unique story. I'm so glad uh, to our friends at Glucose SOS for introducing us and having you be part of February's Diabetes Late Night Podcast. Thank you again.
4: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I hope we can talk again soon.
1: All right, have a good night. All right, everyone, we're wrapping up the show. I want to thank you again uh, for spending time with us, making time to be with us tonight, as you have for the past 10 years. I want to thank all my guests for being on the show tonight. Don't miss people the Diabetes Late Night podcast next month when we're featuring music by opera star Jesse Norman. Plus, sign up for our free cooking party with, on Zoom with Jill Weissenberger on March 2nd at 7 to 8 p.m. on Zoom. And check out all my videos on the YouTube channel. Remember, every diva, and every, uh, every diva has an entourage, and we're so glad to be part of yours. Let's stay happy and healthy together. We're going to end the show with a beautiful song by Celine Dion. It's called "Fly." I'm dedicating this to everyone out there because um, it's just such a hard time for everyone, and I want you to know that we're here with you every step of the way. And if you need us to, you know, uh, Check us out on Instagram or Facebook, or join us at one of our support meetings too. We want to be a part of your community. We want to hear from you, and we want to be able to allow you to be in a safe space where you could share share your concerns as well as as your successes. So have a good night, everybody. Take it away, Celine Dion.